welcome to this episode of Stand Out, the podcast to better your business brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Listen in and you'll walk away with insights from exemplary members who share their business acumen and the newest ideas from authors and thought leaders relevant to the organizing and productivity industry. And now, here's your host, longtime NAPO member, Claire Kumar. Hello and welcome to another episode of NAPO's podcast, Standout. I'm your host, productivity catalyst, Claire Kumar. And this episode, you're in for a treat. I have with me today, with us today, the wonderful Regina Lark, Dr. Regina Lark. Let me tell you why she's here. She's written a book which really needed to be written, and I'm ever so grateful for it. The book right off the top, I'll tell you, is Emotional Labor. Why a woman's work is never done and what to do about it. So let me just say the title can probably tell you why, you know, all you need to know about why I think this is so important. Let me tell you a little bit more about Regina before I bring her into this really important conversation. So Regina and I have known each other for years through NAPO. So NAPO is one of these amazing, amazing organizations that brings incredible people together. And Regina is one of those people that's been in my circle, been inspiring me for years. She's a thought leader in the space. She founded a clear path, her company in 2008. She's grown it to have a team of organizing ninjas, as she calls it. And not only that, she's continued with her body of work as a teacher and researcher in the space of history and women's history and empowerment. And this book, Emotional Labor, Why a Woman's Work is Never Done and What to Do About It, is something that's been so necessary. And I think Regina was the perfect person to write the book. So you'll look for her within NAPO. You'll see her voice in numerous places. She's an educator on topics, women's leadership, emotional labor, of course, time management, productivity, hoarding, and ADHD. She's been featured on A&E, Annie's hit television show Hoarders, in the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times, and numerous other publications. I am so thrilled to be with you today, Regina. Welcome very much to Stand Out. Claire, your introduction brought tears to my eyes. Thank you so much. We do go back a long way And in fact, I think you were at the first K-1 dinner, the kick-ass women of NAPO. And so so I see that in you too. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. I wanted to start this interview really with thanks for writing this book. Reading it was a treat because I know you and your voice was in my head, but you were giving validation to things I'd been thinking about for years, to the hurdles that I felt not only personally in my own relationship, but also that I witnessed when I was helping clients and particularly when I wanted to help clients. And in numerous times, women were being vetoed by their partners who they'd reached out for help, but they were being vetoed by a partner who said, you should know how to do this. We don't need to hire help for this. You should just know this should be in your wheelhouse. And the sadness that I felt every time that we weren't able to break through, and and I didn't get an opportunity to have a mind shift discussion with these gentlemen, but what a barrier to success this expectation is. And so I wanted to start by asking you, what prompted you to write this book and this book now? Well, so I entered my professional life as an organizer 
after being laid off from a job at a major research university. And I was an academic administrator and I had been laid off from my job. And two months after my layoff, I started a clear path. That's not wasting any time right there. Oh, I, had just to to eat. Eat. I had to eat. A girl has to eat. I'm self-supporting. I'm out of work. I'm 50 years old. It's the beginning of the recession. How do I eat? All kinds of bravery right in there. Just, just saying. What happened is that my very first business cards, I didn't include the PhD. And my doctorate is in women's history. And I'm the world's English-speaking expert on marriages between Japanese women and American soldiers who met and married during the U.S. occupation of Japan. But I had put that behind me. I am now an entrepreneur, professional organizer. And in my very first networking meeting, somebody looked at my car and she goes, oh, professional organizing, did you have to go to school for this? And I said, well, no, actually... (laughs) I have a PhD in history and blah, blah. She goes, how come I don't see the PhD on your card? And I said, well, you know, I'm not doing that. At- PhD, what PhD? What PhD? Piled higher and deeper. It stands for piled higher and deeper. So now I'm an organizer. Yes, I put the PhD on my business card. But in my first few jobs, so this is 13 years ago, I'm working with women who hire us to do this work. It's women doing the work, and it's women who need us to do the work. There's a couple of big things going on there when it comes to gender. And I remember talking with Sylvia, and we were sitting on her living room floor going through all of her stuff, big mess, and I'm hearing her talk about her shame, despair, her anger, her frustration, She had lack of self-worth, lack of self-esteem. And I'm going, Sylvia, where is this coming from? She goes, I'm just, look at this mess. I'm just not a good wife and mother. And I'm like, whoa. And I actually said this, Sylvia, just because you have a vagina does not mean to the man are born. And we sat down and I taught Women's History 101. And I talked about the historical underpinnings for why, why she is seen as the primary caregiver of household management. Mm-hmm. How did we get here? <laughs> like, yeah. And to normalize it as well. And to assume that just because you have an anatomical body part, that it's your job. Well, I felt so bad for how she was feeling. And she wasn't the only one to talk about this sense of shame and despair and embarrassment. From there, I went and started enrolling in all the courses I could take at the Institute for Challenging Disorganization. ICD gave me the theoretical underpinnings for what was happening in the brain, for why there may be clutter. And then I started putting it all together. And I thought, my goodness, if this is supposed to be women's work and we have centuries of women with ADHD and executive function disorder, dysfunction. And in order to maintain a tidy home, one needs a fully functioning executive function. And if that's not how you were born and you were raised from a girl to a woman, you are going to feel terrible about yourself. I don't care who you are because you're raised to believe that this is your job. And if your brain isn't wired to that, you're going to fail yourself miserably. And that's why I wrote the book. 
Well, so, and deep thanks, because not only have you touched on the need, you're also highlighting one of the things in society that's happened is ADHD was diagnosed for men or boys because it was associated with hyperactivity. So there are so many women in their 30s, 40s, 50s now going, oh my God, that's what's, and I'm going to use air quotes here, that's what's wrong with me. Let's not look at it as a disorder. I prefer to look at it as a whole set of strengths. But everything I've studied also at ICD primarily around ADHD and additional reading and so on, everything I've learned about the ADHD brain informs productivity strategies that almost everyone can use. But if you've got this gap, oh my gosh, you need them. And so for someone to not understand that for someone else, that just might not be a natural inclination, motivation, motivation. There's a whole other story. And that's why I was, so I was reading your book and I was sitting on my couch hooraying inside because <laughs> it's so, it's normalizing what's going on and it's removing this, any sense of you should yeah. know how to do this. Like right. Right. you've just lightened the load by understanding it. So deep thanks. So Regina, you define emotional labor. I'm going to read it here from the back of your book, which was such a smart place to put it, by the way. Emotional labor is the unseen, unnoticed, unwaged, unwritten, unanticipated work women do at home. I'm going to say that again, because that's a whole lot of un. It's unseen. It's unnoticed. It's unwaged. It's unwritten and it's unanticipated. And oh my gosh, it's a lot of things. But what it is not is all the visible stuff you necessarily see at the end. It's the unspoken. It's the unappreciated. There is so much that goes into it. And what it is, is the weight that we carry in what I loved you said was something about we're nurturing everybody else. We are the understudy. You said we are the understudy for everybody else in the home. And I'm like, oh, yes, because I need to know what Frankie's doing. I don't need to know what Matilda's doing. I need to know what my partner is doing. And I need to have planned and thought through. You mentioned ketchup a bunch in this, in this book. And it's <laughs> like, you need to be anticipating. It was not just planning for the expected. It's planning for the unexpected. That's anticipating. Holy moly. Has anybody been awarded or recognized for anticipation? Oh my God. Oh my God. So I flipped out at the, and I, I like read it and, and I wanted to read it because it's so profound, the definition of emotional labor. How did you come to observing and remarking on this piece as this profound weight that we're carrying that needs to be brought out into the open and appreciated? Claire, I believe that if all professional organizers who are in the homes of our awesome clients can listen a little bit more deeply, a little bit closer to what our clients are saying about how they feel about what's going on in their home. We would all come to this. I think I'm fortunate in that I do have this background in women's history. And I'm going to give a plug for a podcast I just found. It's called Breaking Down Patriarchy. 
And what it is, is a woman is taking this idea of patriarchy and she both wants to put a sledgehammer to it, but she is doing a critical and analytical reading of the texts that have been written since, since Old Testament on how women were mentioned, reviled, subjugated, taught their place, education only for the domestic pursuits, education not for the sake of education, but for shaping the minds of future leaders. I'm thinking of geisha now and for pleasure for others. And pleasure for others. So because of my very deep knowledge of the historic, you know, <laughs> historical analysis of what it meant, what it means to be female, then being in their homes and hearing their words about shame and embarrassment and depression related to the stuff, right? It's just stuff. I would hear my male clients not personalize the stuff. Get it out of here, they'd say. I don't care what you do with it, they'd say. And my women clients are desirous of somebody else having access to it, somebody else needing it. They see the mess as a reflection on who they are, not a reflection on how their brain is wired, how many, how many moving parts are in the household, how many plates they're juggling, how often their spouse does not step up and become an equity partner in the household. So I think if we all listened, and I do want to say, which comes at, you know, toward the end of the book, what is the responsibility of an organizer to point this out to our clients? How do we help them address these issues in their own house, in their client's household, I think first addressing it in their household, but how do we help them address it in their household when we also should acknowledge that the families that we work with, chances are they've had a lot of arguments about the stuff. Just a few. Just a couple. <laughs> Just a few. Just a few. Hmm. Well, because you, as you present in your what to do about it discussion, we aren't modeled or we aren't encouraged to have proactive conversations. We get the memes about the toilet paper that's never put on the, the thing or the milk bag that's left in the fridge empty, but we never have the role modeling around what kind of environment makes you thrive, honey? Yeah. Like, right? yeah. I just did a coaching call with a client yesterday and you know, I gave her some conversation prompts with her spouse, her male spouse. And one of the questions was, what does thriving look like for us today? Oh, yeah. Not forever. Yes. Oh, I, I love that. We yeah. thrive today, you know, because she told me, well, we've been in survival mode. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I talk about that a lot. I talk about inviting people to assess capability, which if you have kids and as grownups, it's always changing. But with kids, it's on a rapid fire build and capacity. And for everybody that's in flux too. So what can you take on given your understanding of capability and capacity? I mean, we should be looking at that right now in the world as we manage 
what's going on but it's this invitation to say what are we aiming for together right together right i love that i love talking with you so i want to bring in my collaborator judith kohlberg oh good because i wanted to also yeah so judith as many of your listeners probably know she coined the term chronic disorganization she was a she was and continues to be a big player with icd and I also have known her for years, and I know her to be smart. She's a published author. She's a feminist. She's just a great woman. And I knew that she understood women's history because of her own activism and background and all of that. So in June of 2020, when I sat down to put all of my research together, I wasn't writing. And I thought, uh-oh, trouble in paradise. And I called Judith and I hired her to coach me for inside the front cover to inside the back cover. And we became collaborators. It was such a fantastic process. I can't wait to do another project with her. And so if any of your listeners are looking for a credible book coach, please call Judith. But one of the concepts that Judith pulled out of my work was this, and it speaks directly to your, your comments just now about competence. And what was the other C word you use? Capacity and capability. Well, one of the big challenges that we see in the household is that women are absolutely the most capable to do this work. Why? Because we're raised to do the work. We are raised regardless of our brain function, regardless of how we're hardwired, because we're female, we're raised from girls into women to do this work, to notice what needs to be done. Now, when we talk about delegating in a typical sense, we usually delegate to that person who is best suited for that job. Hands down, women will always win that race when it comes to being best suited for the household oh, work. Oh, I can hear that. Well, if you're so good at the doing the dishes, why don't you do them yourself? Well, like, I had mm. in all these focus groups and a lot of women says, well, I, my husband said he'd do the laundry, but I got it back because I'm better at it. And I'm like, put them in front of YouTube. But the model of delegation has to look very different in the modern household because... Yes, she's better at it. No, that does not promote equity. Right. So the conversations have to change. Oh, yeah. So I want to share something that happened in my life over the past, I would say it's over the past 10 years. So I left my marriage five years ago, five and a half years ago. We can do hoorays for that. So, But before that, it was a very long, arduous journey to get to that point. But part of my strategy in getting to that point was I need to upskill my household because with children with ADHD and sensitivity, I knew that as teenagers, leaving them in their home was going to serve them better than inviting them to separate between two households. And also personally, because of my MS, I decided that single floor living, it, there was a whole lot of reasons why I decided to leave. But before I could leave, I needed to get some groundwork done. So all of a sudden I started to stop. And my ex, unless he listens to this, hello y'all, you know, this could be news to you. This was very strategic over several years, anticipating that I would be backing out of numerous things that I was just 
doing as the person who was the second income, working part-time some of the time, working full-time other times, but in our household, his was the primary income, which for many gender reasons and gender gap and all of the wage gap, all of that happened. And I needed to bring back the equity and the responsibilities. And the only way I could do it was by stopping. So one example is that I did early on was, but first of all, I got him to use the monthly calendar on the wall by saying that I'm putting my stuff there. If I get something on Wednesday evening, we're good because you're at home with the kids. If you now have something on Wednesday evening and it's not in the calendar, you get in the sitter. <gasps> I have to get the sitter? Like, yeah, you have to get the sitter. What? Like, oh my God, all kinds of resistance, right? So it was starting to stop. And I love that. Yeah. And, and I mean, I could, you could understand as a parent transferring skills to your children with also heavy resistance, right? Nobody else has chores like I do, mom, right? But to transfer skills and responsibility and invite ownership from a partner who is like, why do I have to do this? <laughs> it took some, some strategy and long-term planning over several years of, you know, work. So, I just wanted to bring it back to your concept of equity and delegating and how you encourage in the book, you give some very valuable suggestions for how conversations could go. Thank you for saying that. I love the dialogues part of the book. And I wanted to address this traditionally historical way of looking at equity or equality, I guess, in the household. And we tend to do a quid pro quo. Oh, 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 can I show this? Because, <laughs> because not only are there dialogues for all you YouTube people, and if you're not, if you're listening, I invite you to watch the YouTube because I'm showing a diagram right now, which maybe Regina, you can, this is supporting what Regina is going to explain here. So there's equality and there's equity. And I love the cartoons. This book is filled with 22 cartoon panels. And, and here's the thing. When we think of equality, we think of the quid pro quo. You have this, this is this value, and I have this. It's, I'm sure it's, there's value on both sides. But when it comes to the numbers portion of the show, right? So there's a primary wage earner, say 150,000 a year. And then there's the homemaker, say zero dollars a year. There's an app suggestion in the book and it's called Tend, T-E-N-D. And after you finish vacuuming, you can put vacuum 20 minutes and it'll show the cost of that if you hired it out. Right. (laughs) So exactly. So if you were to calculate dollar for dollar cost of managing a household, household management 101. And if you were to cost out not only the activities and tasks, but the time within which these are being performed you will likely see that the annual budget for household management is probably a good bit more than 150,000 a year. Wow. So there have been over decades, feminists 
who would launch wages for housework campaigns. And I know that was happening in Canada back in the 70s, actually. But the wages for housework campaigns were designed to show what it takes financially to manage a household. And so this is not new stuff. I don't have the statistic in front of me, but if every single homemaker on the planet walked off the job for the day. Oh, that's happened in countries, right? Was it Ireland? Where where was it? They had a strike. The Icelandic women, they stopped homemaking and they stopped sex. And oh, that's funny. It put the economy and the the cultural you know, considerations of Icelandic life into tumult. I mean, that is so great. They really <laughs> felt, and Iceland does have incredible gender equity when it comes to paid time off, when it comes to parental leave, when it comes to paid vacations, and all of those things to enhance and increase the quality of life. Most other developed nations do not, although the United States lags in equity for women when it comes to time off. There's this great woman out there, and in fact, my book is dedicated to black and brown women caregivers, and 5% of our proceeds are going to the Marshall Plan for Moms. Yeah, I love that. The brainchild of Reshma Sujani. She's a lawyer and she created a nonprofit called Girls Who Code. Yes. Yeah. She is a force, but she is looking at if you are going to insist that women are going to continue to be the caregivers and the the household managers, then we've got to give way in some way to the corporate and educational institutions to really accommodate and support that notion. It seems commonsensical, but it's, it's absolutely just doesn't exist. So and logic, Claire. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I want to also bring in gender a little more deeply into this because you touched on it in the book too, because we were, t- we're talking predominantly in the book about heterosexual relationships, but then you also talk about same sex relationships and what you noticed with respect to their emotional labor. Can you just share a little bit about that? Because I thought that was fascinating to hear about. One of my most favorite things to do is to talk about this, but also to tell heterosexual women this. When two guys get together in an intimate relationship, there is no gender division of labor. They have to talk about everything. They have to talk about it. They have to decide who's going to do what when. There's no gendered expectation about laundry, yard work, cooking, grocery shopping, toilets. It's just not a gendered expectation. They have to talk about it. And so so tell us what happens in those relationships and also with respect to income. From what I've understood now, I've done focus groups on gender non-binary folks. And I also read what little literature is available on this, but income level did not seem to be part of the equation at all when it came to the division of household labor. There was one's income, and then there's the division of household labor. And 
when you see a big shift in this, so it appears equitable, truly equitable from the beginning of the relationship until the time they have children. And once a child enters the equation, what we see couples do is move into what appear to be traditional gender roles. So that one person, so one of the adult men in the household is going to be the primary caregiver and household manager. I think one of the big differences is they still have to talk about it. They still have to decide how it's going to be divided. The emotional labor book has in it what is called the emotional labor life cycle. And it's to help couples anticipate, like you remarked a couple of times, you know, has anybody won an award for anticipating? Noticing is a skill. Anticipating is a skill. And the emotional labor life cycle helps you to anticipate what may be coming up. You know, I I love this because I'm actually coaching somebody now who's wanting to make a career transition and to start a family. And, you know, we're planning her ideal week. All of these prompts need to be there because they're going to be like, you don't think you have time now, honey? Whoa, (laughs) wait until you add a child into the mix. And what does that do? So I'm going to be sharing this with her for sure, because you're right. It's attached to those big life transitions that we make. And there's all kinds of assumptions that could happen that you want to prompt discussion and exploration about. I love that. So yeah, anybody who's listening, this book is, it takes you a little bit on a journey to understand that history, which is, gives you so much, aha, this is why we're where we're at. And then it's these practical discussions and dialogues, which can give you some language or a way to approach it that won't set off fireworks, which is pretty awesome. Also, the drawings (laughs) in there as well, lighten this topic and bring bring some poignancy to in in a different creative way. So Regina, I think you've created an incredible work here with the help of Judith, as you mentioned, and I might be reaching out to her actually, because I trying to connect the dots on the book I want to write and how it relates to high sensitivity. And so I'm like, oh, she would understand this so hard. Yeah, she yeah. would. Yeah. So I, I got some phone calls to make, but I wanted to just thank you again and invite all our listeners to grab a copy of Emotional Labor, Why Woman's Work is Never Done and What to Do About It. She doesn't leave you hanging and uh, really think about embedding this in your conversations with your clients Do that listening that Regina invited you to do because a lot of what's going on is deeper and there are bigger, bigger challenges that if we can invite some conversation, then the path forward can be a clear one. How about that, Regina? It can have a a clear path is Regina's company, as I mentioned, right? So yeah, to put a bow on it. I want to thank you for for joining me today on this episode of, of Standout. Thanks so much for being here, Regina. Thanks for inviting me, Claire. I appreciate it. Really fun. Awesome. I knew this would be an amazing conversation. I hope you, the listener, has enjoyed it. As always, I invite you to check out all of the episodes at napopodcast.com. You can find everything there. And of course, listen to them on all your favorite podcast places. Podcasts are a hot, hot commodity right now. And especially as we are 
in challenging times. I hope they become part of your listening and learning pleasure. I hope this one is, is a good part of your journey. Until we meet again in another episode, please be safe, be kind, and as always, enjoy your journey. That's all for today's episode of Stand Out, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.